Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. This is Resurrection Sunday. This is Easter. And so I want to welcome you to this Easter Resurrection Sunday sermon. This is the morning where followers of Jesus all over the world look forward to gathering together and experiencing and remembering the resurrection of Christ. But you already know, we're not able to gather together like we normally do. And yet we believe through the power of the Spirit, we can experience the fullness of the resurrection Sunday morning. And so this is the day where Christians gather together, and even though we can't do it physically, we do spiritually. And we know that on this day, this day speaks of a new kind of life, a new way of living, a new way of seeing the world, and a new power through Jesus to live a new life. As I was thinking about Easter, I was remarking to my wife, Fran, how this Easter season, this spring, has been the most naturally beautiful Easter I can recall in Charlottesville since we moved here 21 years ago to become the pastor of City Church. I noticed on the road where I live that the flowers are gorgeous, the trees are on full-on bloom. It seems like every single yard has something that speaks of new life. Again, visually, I think this, this Easter season and the nature around us has provided the most spectacular display of new life, and it mirrors the new life that the resurrection brings. But at the same time, Due to the COVID-19 crisis, there has been the emotional context of concern, fear, uncertainty, confusion, sadness, heartache, separation, sheltering in place, and the talk of death and the loss of human life. This morning, every single preacher knows that the COVID-19 crisis mirrors very closely the emotional context of the disciples on the morning of the resurrection found in Scripture. You see, where we are at with COVID-19 sets the stage in a powerful way for the biblical emotional context. Just this past week, my son Peter and I were sharing about the resurrection with a group of people. He mentioned that the time between Jesus' crucifixion on Good Friday and those three days until his resurrection on Easter Sunday morning, that gap, that emotional lostness of that time for Jesus' disciples so clearly speaks to the world in which you and I now live. You see... The people in the biblical story around Jesus during during those three days were scared, separated, confused, sad, and they were focused on the death of Jesus. For them, there are now more questions than answers. What was certain to them has now become shaken and even killed. They are huddled in a home with the doors locked 
They are sheltering in place due to fear, uncertainty, and disappointment. Again, every pastor in every pulpit is keenly aware of how true this is for Easter Sunday and how this Easter season has been uniquely similar to the resurrection found in the Gospels in the Newer Testament. Well, speaking of every pastor, I want to tell you at the outset what the purpose, the clear purpose for this sermon is and where we're headed. My goal in this Easter sermon is to help us to come to an understanding and to re- or to remind us again of the cultural, biblical, and spiritual context for the resurrection and how Jesus' resurrection speaks to our lives 2,000 years later in our current context. So let's begin our journey. I'm going to begin by stating what's obvious to every pastor, and it's this. There are three days every year where we see the highest attendance at church. Now the reality of it is the sanctuary that I'm preaching in is pretty much empty of people. But on a normal year, those three days are the holidays in which we see the highest attendance. There's Christmas, there's Easter, and there's Mother's Day. But each time I preach on Easter, I make sure I share the following biblical perspective about Christmas and about Easter. So here we go. Christmas is only found in two of the four Gospels. It's found in Luke, and it's found in Matthew. It's not found in Mark, and it's not found in the Gospel of John. What I'm not saying is that Christmas is unimportant. Yet, Christmas is never mentioned again in the entire Newer Testament by any New Testament writer outside of Matthew and Luke. But you see, Easter, meaning the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Easter is mentioned in all four Gospels. As a matter of fact, in all four Gospels, up to one half of the Gospel involves Jesus' announcement that he's going to Jerusalem and die, and then him laying down his life for the spiritual benefit of all people. You can find this in the Gospel of Mark, which is the Gospel from which we're going to be reading our resurrection story. But in Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 32, Jesus predicts his death. Here's what it says. He, meaning Jesus, then began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's what Jesus called himself, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. You see, Jesus was clear in all four Gospels that his death had a purpose. But what is stunning is that up to half of all four Gospels focus on the life of Jesus after he begins his journey to Jerusalem. You would notice that we just read that initial announcement of the beginning of Jesus' Jerusalem journey to die in Mark chapter 8. In just a few moments, 
We're going to be reading from Mark chapter 16 about the resurrection. Again, half of the gospel of Mark is all about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And Mark never mentions Christmas at all. But please remember this. Christmas is important. But you would have never heard of Christmas had it not been for the resurrection of Jesus. I also had mentioned earlier that all of the New Testament writers mention the resurrection. Here's an example. Here's from the Apostle Paul who wrote a huge portion of the Newer Testament. He speaks to the church in Corinth of the resurrection, and I want you to listen carefully to what Paul writes to the church in Corinth and to us. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 18. He writes, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, I'm sorry, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, if in fact, then in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. You see, the resurrection is the central theme of the Newer Testament. Now, as I mentioned, all four Gospels speak about the resurrection of Jesus. I have chosen, as I mentioned earlier, the Gospel of Mark chapter 16. But I want to tell you why I chose Mark's Gospel. Because Mark's Gospel is written to Romans and as Americans, we are most like the Roman audience that Mark was written to. Here's why. Romans love fast-paced, action-oriented, victorious stories. And if you've read through the Gospel of Mark, you know it's exactly that. It is fast-paced, action-oriented, and it's got a ton of victory in it. Now, before we read from Mark chapter 16 we need to think about what we have learned from Mark chapter 15. We learned in Mark chapter 15 the following things. Jesus suffered horribly. He was tortured. He was mocked. He was stripped naked. And on Good Friday, he was nailed to a cross between two rebels. We need to be clear. Jesus was crucified. This cannot be missed. You see, crucifixion was so painful and was so torturous that in Greek they had to come out with a brand new word. The word that the Greeks came out with to describe the horror of Roman crucifixion was this, excruciating. It's actually an English word. Ex 
meaning out of, and cruciate, meaning of the cross. So can you imagine a new word had to be coined in order to explain the horror of crucifixion, and the word is excruciating. So remember, Mark 15 tells us that Jesus experienced excruciating pain and suffering to the point of his death. Mark chapter 15 also tells us that all of Jesus' disciples and his closest friends have fled. Mark 15 also tells us that Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate, receives permission to take Jesus' body off of the cross, and then because on Good Friday the sun is setting, Sabbath will begin as soon as the sun sets, Joseph of Arimathea hurriedly puts Jesus' body into an empty tomb. The last thing that the Gospel of Mark 15 tells us is there are three women. Three. They are the most faithful of all of Jesus' disciples. They watched him die. They observed where Joseph of Arimathea has laid his body. They are the final disciples, the last ones that hang in there with Jesus. Now we pick up our reading in Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, the heading says, Jesus is risen. Let's read what Mark chapter 16, verse 1 and following has to tell us. Here's what the gospel says. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You, you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. They knew about that. They had watched him die on Good Friday. But now the angel announces, he is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Verse 8, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. We need to understand something clearly about Easter Resurrection Sunday morning. Not a single person was at the tomb with the expectation of a resurrected Jesus. Jesus' closest followers, these three women, are there at the tomb. But all the men, all those that had followed him for three and a half years, are now hiding for fear of their very lives. Everyone's gone. Only these three women remain. Why do the men, are they not there? They didn't expect the resurrection. They didn't believe that he would be raised from the dead. That's shocking. 
because Jesus for up to half of each gospel had been teaching them repeatedly. He would go to Jerusalem, he would suffer horribly, he would die, but on the third day be raised to new life. Why didn't they believe him? Well, there are theological reasons for this and I want to explain it. You see, there were Old Testament prophecies and passages about the Christ, the Messiah, the God-man. These passages taught, and they believed they taught, that there would come one who would be the God-man, and he would never, ever die. The disciples and these three women believed that Jesus was the God-man, the Messiah, the Christ, and they believed that he would reign on David's throne forever and ever. There were passages in the Older Testament that prophetically spoke about Jesus. Passages like Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, which say this, His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Most of us are familiar with some of these passages, even if we don't know it, because Handel's Messiah picks up on this theme and proclaims, he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. But if that's true, his disciples watched. Good Friday, he was nailed to a cross. He suffered to death. How can he be the Christ? How could he ever be the God-man? How could he be the Messiah? Because of his suffering, death, and crucifixion, his closest friends had walked away. But here's where I want to speak personally to the suffering of Jesus. I want to be clear about this from my own life. I am a Christian because Jesus suffered to death. Let me explain. I grew up on a farm in Wisconsin. I was a preteen boy. On a farm, we experienced the constant cycle of life, suffering, and death. We raised hundreds and hundreds of animals. So here I am as a preteen boy living on this farm, and I'm well aware of life and death but the suffering in between. The family that I grew up with in the farm, the Hartwig family, is what we would call being unchurched. We didn't go to church. If we did, it was very, very unfrequently. But all of a sudden, someone came to my mother and shared the good news of Jesus. They shared the gospel with her, the story of Christ. And out of nowhere... We started attending a church. It was in that church where I heard what I just taught on from Mark chapter 16 and Mark 15. I heard the story of how Jesus had suffered. I heard the story of the four gospels where Jesus was God in the flesh, that he had stepped into our world, that he was the God-man, he was the Christ. But then I heard about how he suffered and died. You see, that made sense to me. Here's why. Even as a preteen boy, I had seen enough of life to know that the world is filled with dysfunction, heartache, disappointment, shame, suffering, 
in pain. I knew this. What I also knew is that I had participated willingly in those things. I wasn't just a victim of them. I also had perpetuated those. In other words, I had sinned. And as I looked at the story of Jesus on the cross, here's what I understood. That Jesus had experienced all of those things too. He had experienced shame, suffering, pain, mocking, betrayal, and feeling overpowered. In other words, Jesus suffered. And here's what I determined. That if Jesus had not suffered, I'm out. I have no interest at all. But if Jesus truly suffered to the point of death, then God truly knows that in God, in Christ, Jesus had fully experienced suffering and death. You see, as a preteen boy, that made sense to me. I recognize now why the disciples fled because of that, but that is what drew me to Jesus. And as a preteen boy, I remember walking across the hayfield and giving my life, my belief, my hope, and my trust to Jesus because he had suffered. And I knew that if there was a God who truly loved me, he would have suffered too. If there's a God, it starts a world, and it has suffering in it. But that God avoids the suffering, I'm out. And so for me, Good Friday and moving towards the resurrection made complete and total sense. That's why I gave my heart, my life, and my belief to Jesus. But if you were to read on in the gospel, you would discover some other things that killed Jesus as well. There was political insecurity, greed, bribery, human violence, hatred, jealousy, bitterness, religious corruption, and unforgiveness. And the scriptures teach us that it was all of those things, but there was also ultimately death, hell, and the grave all conspired and colluded to make sure that Jesus died and that he stayed dead. You see, death had always been the final word. I'd experienced that repeatedly on the farm. But here's what I also understood. That if Jesus, who had experienced all of this, can come through this and come back to life, now we've got something. If he really is raised from the dead through death, hell, and the grave, then there is victory. There is new life. There is hope. And there's a God that knows. But let's go back for our closing to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verses 6 through 8. I want you to notice how Mark's account of the resurrection ends. We need to catch this. I want to read it again. The Gospel of Mark tells us, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who is crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Repeatedly, Jesus told his disciples 
that he would go to Jerusalem and die, that he would be resurrected, and that they would see him again. But verse 8 tells us in the Gospel of Mark how the women exit the resurrection. Listen to the end of the story. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. In every Bible, in mine included, there's a footnote at the end of verse 8. And here's what the footnote says. The earliest manuscripts and some of the other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20. If you were to read on, you would see in the Gospel of Mark that people have added things to the end of the Gospel, verses 9 through 20. I'm not saying what they had written was wrong. It's pastorally true. Everything they wrote is true about Jesus. But to be academically and intellectually honest, you need to know that verses 9 through 20 are not found in the ancient manuscripts. But what does that say? It says that the Gospel of Mark ends with this phrase, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Mic drop, end of story. That does not sound like a Roman ending. Romans love fanfare. They love trumpets. They would be looking for the angelic host that was at Jesus' birth to be announcing his resurrection. They were looking for that. And yet here's how the story ends. All the men are hiding and afraid. There are three petrified women that are left and they're scared as well. No Roman fanfare. No brass trumpets. Nothing. Three women exiting the tomb, afraid, done, end of gospel. But if you stop and you think, something will begin to dawn on you. And it's this, that if Jesus is resurrected, you don't need trumpets, you don't need fanfare. If he's resurrected, he cannot be stopped. If he is resurrected, then hell and all the opposing spiritual forces to goodness, to the goodness of God in this world have lost their battle. If Jesus is resurrected, it means that in the resurrection, there is a power to live a life where triumphing by exerting your will over people, having it all, stepping on others, crushing those who get in our way doesn't have to be the only choice on how you live your life. What the resurrection means is this, is that in the resurrection and in Jesus, weakness triumphs over brute force. Gentleness ends up defeating the sword. Love and humility rises up through death and offers a new kind of life. In the resurrection, it means that gentleness, kindness, self-control, humility, unselfishness, compassion, generosity, goodness, and deep, true, lasting commitment to love wins. 
It proves that the good stuff that makes life worth living is here to stay. You see, in the resurrection, Jesus conquered death by his own death. It means that the ultimate enemy of all of us has been spiritually conquered through Jesus. That's why the Apostle Paul goes on to write in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57. He writes, Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death of sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he has given us victory through through our Lord Jesus Christ. Every sermon that I preach here at City, we end on this common point. Putting feet to your faith. So how do we put feet to our faith to the story that we've just heard? What do you do? How do you respond to it? I want to challenge you to respond the same way I did as a preteen boy. I looked at the story of the last three days of Jesus' life. I saw his suffering. I saw his death. I understood that between his death and his resurrection, that hell Death in the grave did everything it could to keep him down and to hold him. But because Jesus had never sinned, because he had lived a sinless life, everything that death, hell, sin in the grave had to grip him could not, and he was resurrected to new life on the other side of the grave. How do we respond? Well, in reality, it's quite simple but it's life-altering. What we do is we approach this story in faith. We come to Jesus and we understand that in his death, burial, and resurrection, there's new life for us. That in our sin, in our brokenness, which I understood as a preteen boy, I looked at Jesus and I recognized that in his suffering, in his death, he took what I had done upon himself. So what's the action that we take? How do we put feet to our faith? It's actually quite simple. We put our hope, we put our trust, we put our belief in Jesus. We look at who he is. We look at what he's done. We recognize that he truly is alive. And we surrender our lives, our trust, and our belief to him. My question is, Will you choose him this day? Will you put your faith, hope, and trust and belief in him? Will you look at the resurrection and then look at your life and recognize that in him he can offer you something that no one else can? It's not just the removal of your sin. It's the opportunity to live a life in the resurrection power and the authority of Jesus. Will you take this opportunity to give your life to him? I want to encourage you to do that right now. Do what I did walking across the hayfield on our farm in Wisconsin as a preteen boy. Take this opportunity to open up your heart by faith and to pray this simple prayer that I'm going to pray. I know some of you aren't really people of prayer. 
So I want to pray a prayer and I want to encourage you to repeat it after me. And the prayer to accept Jesus would go something like this. Jesus, I don't know everything that there is to know about who you are. I don't understand everything, but what I do understand is that your resurrection conquered death, hell, and sin. And so Jesus, in you, there's a new life that you can provide for me. So Jesus, in this moment, I bring to you my brokenness, my dysfunction, my guilt, my shame. I bring it all to you. And Jesus, I acknowledge some of it was done to me, but other stuff I participated in freely and willingly. And I bring that to you, and I set it at your feet. And now, Jesus, I ask you as I confess that, as I repent of those things, Jesus, will you take me as sinful as I am, as broken as I am, Jesus, will you take me right where I am and will you please give me the resurrection life, that life that conquers death, that life that brings new life. Jesus, please receive me, take me, use me for the sake of your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name, in Christ's name, amen.